Good morning. As many of you know, I've had the opportunity to do a couple different uh, remodel projects for houses that we've uh, been responsible for in the last couple years. And uh, something that I did not grow up doing, so thankful for YouTube that I was able to learn how to do the stuff that I was. But these projects, the way we organized them, it was a lot of work with a little time. We had much to do, but not much time to do it. And this created an anxiousness, uh, an exhaustion. Um, this was really, really hard um, type work. Now, thankfully, now that I have those skills, I can go and help other people. And I've had the privilege of going to different people's homes and doing just various things around their houses, which, which I've come to discover I like. <laughs> it's not the same as doing my own house. Uh, Darianne even jokes around, she says, you know, I, I think I want you to go work on other people's houses because it inspires me to want to work on my own house. And the reason for that is going to somebody else's house, they have their own timeline. I don't have to be the general contractor. I don't have to worry about the timeline. I have a certain amount of time, a certain amount of skill sets, and I can go and just do the work given to me and not having to worry about the rest of the building. And this building idea and concept is one of the scripture's favorite ways of understanding where God dwells, from the temple to the uh, buildings and all that. God uses the language of building throughout the scriptures to talk about not only what he's doing, to talk about what those that he's placed in charge, his general contractors or his subcontractors are doing in the building process, but also what it means to be the people of God. We've been in the middle of a series called The Future Present, which is establishing the church to live now in light of Jesus's future kingdom. Paul has been addressing a church in Corinth uh, that are divided around the styles and preferences of specific speakers. You're there's personal preferences that are drawn towards the sp different speakers. And so we've gone about looking at how Paul addresses that disunity and trying to unify them as one because they will ultimately be unified as one in Christ. And so here, Paul's coming to a conclusion in his argument. And he says for them to be unified... The church needs to have a right understanding of their relationship with their leaders and a right relationship with their own identity. And if the church has a right understanding of their relationship with their leaders and with their identity, they are then able to be who God fully wants them to be. So we pick up this argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in this, we see in the beginning of chapter 3 that they, uh, Paul addresses them not as adults or mature. We talked a little bit about this last week and that their actions show that they're not mature. It's not that they have all the right things to say. It's not that they know all the right uh, theological points. It's that their jealousy and strife in verse 3 are the reasons by which they're living according to the human, uh, human way and not utilizing their mind of Christ or empowered by the Spirit. So some say, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. Are you not being merely human? 
And so this is when he starts to unpack what the right relationship with the church is to its leaders. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I want to spend the majority of our time this morning understanding the identity of the church that Paul lays out here. So uh, there's three things that uh, Paul mentions just briefly that we can unpack. The first thing is that leaders are servants, not celebrities. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? We are servants through whom you believed. And so Paul recognizes that these people that have been given, been given to the church are to serve the church. Elsewhere, Paul says that we are, they are just, um, excuse me, that they, the servants or the leaders belong to the church. And so we live in a day where uh, leaders tend to want to create a celebrity culture as opposed to a servant culture. Uh, they, and this is something that I'm going to be honest with you. I've suffered with. I was trained in an environment where the next logical thing was to uh, grow a big church so that you can create a bigger influence so that more people can follow you. You can get your own website, justinwestcott.com. Um, and, and more people follow you, more influence, more impact, fill in the blank. And that was the environment. But what the scriptures actually teach is, no, 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 that actually does harm to the church because the, the relationship that the church has with its leaders are not that they should be celebrities that are to be pawned over, but they are servants. And so Paul wants the church to recognize, no, 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 we're just your servants. We're not the ones that you should be divided over. Secondly, that the, these leaders are diverse, not uniform. They're diverse, not uniform. Paul and Apollos had different responsibilities. Verse 6, I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he uh, who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so these leaders that are given to the church don't have the same gifts. They don't have the same skills. They don't have the same um, fruit from their work. And in the kingdom of God, that's a good thing. They're not to be the same. They're not to look the same, act the same, think the same. They are to be a a diverse group of people given to serve the church. And lastly, these leaders are united. They're not divided. Um, Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. So while they have different roles in the body of Christ... They are to be one. They are to be for the sake of building and serving the church. And it's the church's job to understand that its leaders and its servants, those that are subcontractors in the building of the church, they are to have a right relationship with them, not to worship them, not to pawn over them, not to only go to people that are like them, and not to use them as an opportunity to divide but celebrating and being thankful for their service, for celebrating and thankful for their diversity, and for looking to them to be united and not divided. So that's what Paul's trying to help them understand of what the, uh, the right understanding of the leaders. But let's spend the majority of our time talking about what is the right relationship that the church is to have with its own identity. In essence, we're asking the question, what is the church? 
um, for so much of many of us, it's the building we go to. I'm going to church. Or it's the event that we go to. Um, now, whether it's what we, we're doing at EX3 or what we're doing right now in house-to-house gatherings on Sunday mornings, the time allocated to singing together and to hearing God's Word preached and to discuss around in communion is church. And we have these sayings that we haven't used in a while, but oh, we've vitalized them for a second. We've said that um, we hope you never go to church again, but that you start learning to be the church. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want you to stop gathering. It's definitely what we mean, but we want to reframe or re-church what it means to be as opposed to do. We, we don't go to church. It says it's all over our website. We don't go to church. We are the church. And this is one of the texts that we go to help us really understand that. And Paul uses three different metaphors to address the people of Corinth and their identity as the church. That the church is a field, it is a building, and they are the temple. So let's look at the field. First, the church is the field that's to be cultivated so that God can give the growth. We see this in verses 6 through the first part of 9. Um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Uh, he says in verse 9, we are of God's fellow workers, but you are God's field. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but one of my early COVID projects was to plant a garden. We, we had a really nasty backyard. We, we cleaned it all out. We built these awesome planters, and we started a, a mini garden for us. Now, I came to discover there's certain things that are necessary for cultivating a good garden or a field, if you will. It needs the right soil. I mean, that requires pH, drainage, the full shebang. But it needs watering. So it needs to make sure that it is, has the right nutrients, both in the soil and in the water. It needs the seed itself. But at the end of the day, when we're gardening or we're planting or tending a field, we are not really in control of the outcome. Because there's one thing that we are not in control of, an absolutely essential piece to it, and that's the sun. We, now, we can put plants at different places that are needing more sun versus needing that less, but at the end of the day, the sun is absolutely essential to bring the growth. And that is the one thing that we have zero control over. Our job is to cultivate, to do the best we can to tend the land, plant the right things in the right soil so that growth it can be done, but that is ultimately outside of our control. And this is what Paul is trying to say and help them understand that they as the people of God are a field. Now we are to cultivate it, we, and that's what the leader's responsibility is. We're to tend it, we're to make sure that it has what is necessary. We plant the seeds, we water the soil, but at the end of the day, it's the son's job to bring the growth. When it comes to us as the church, it's God's job to bring the growth. We can't force that. We can't make that happen. Now, this growth can happen in different ways. It can be personal transformation. If you've been making disciples for any length of time, it becomes apparent very quickly that you can only do so much to get somebody else to believe rightly and to live rightly. 
You can put them in the right environments, which we would call disciple-making environments, the DNA groups, everyday life and missional community in our gathering. You can put them in there, but that doesn't mean that they're going to have heart transformation. That personal transformation only comes from the Spirit of God. So for the field to be cultivated and for there to be growth, personally, we need God to show up. But if there's also to be new birth, to be new fruit to come, now we can plant the soil of, of telling people about the gospel all day long, and we rightfully should, something that we're going to be addressing more in the near future. We need to be sharing the, our faith. We need to be planting seeds of the gospel in people that don't yet believe. But at the end of the day, we can't force them to believe. We are dependent upon God to bring the growth of new disciples among us as we are for the sun to bring us new uh, fruit in our gardens. Also, that is, um, this is also true when it comes to multiplication. Now, our vision and dream is to see uh, missional communities and churches planted all across our region. So the, where that happens is a person is, is sent by the Spirit to plant seeds, to see people come to faith, to be formed in missional communities, to have these missional communities multiply and have multiple groups of people so that they can become a church family, that the same thing's happening so that they can multiply. <coughs> Excuse me. We are doing our best to cultivate an environment where that can happen. But you and I as the field of God are absolutely dependent upon the God of the field, the owner of the field, to do the work. So we cultivate, we plant, we water, but ultimately we are dependent upon God to bring the growth. So first, the church is the field. Second, the church is a building. The church is a building. We see this in the second part of verse 9, God's building. And so Paul goes on in verses 10 through 15 to give this understanding of his role. Let me read it. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So let me pause. Yeah. So, Paul is unpacking this reality that the church is a building, and so his job as a master um, builder is to lay the foundation. Now, Paulus's job, remember, this is helping them unpack the difference in leadership. His job was to build upon that. But ultimately, Jesus is the foundation of the church. This is how he says it to the Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus be himself being the cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone, which is the most important part, which everything else is built off of. The Jesus Christ and Him crucified of chapter 2 is the foundation which everything else is built. The gospel is the foundation for which the church is built off of. So if we are building something other than that, what's in alignment with the gospel, 
What Paul is saying here is there is coming a day, the day of judgment, where fire will purify it and only, uh, only that which survives will be what's in alignment with the kingdom of God's principles, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, to take care, we are the living stones, Peter says. Let me just read that really quick. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. Um, but you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Ephesians 4 um, says it this way, that, that God gave certain leaders to equip the saints, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then verse 16, um, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. This building language. It's on the foundation. And it, we have to make sure that we're doing it in line with the gospel. Now there's these metals here, gold, silver. Now these are... Um, uh, metals and resources that were used for building Solomon's temple. And so when we think of the building of the, the body of Christ, we have to think, are we doing it in a way that will last? Are we doing it in a way that's out of alignment with the gospel? Are we, are we building it for our own name? Is this to make Soma famous or is this to make Jesus famous? Is this to make us look good or is this to make Jesus look good? So, not only is Jesus the foundation, he's ultimately the builder. We are God's building. And he empowers each of us to build, use our gifts to the building of the body. So, are you using your gifts for the building up of the body of Christ so that Jesus can be glorified and seen more? So, we are God's field. We are God's building. And third, we are God's temple. For don't you know, verse 16, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now we've, uh, this is something that's common in our day, but I want you to un, um, take off your preconceived notions for a second and just think about this in light of the fact of what these people were listening to. The temple for them was the place where God dwelt. It was in the form of a tabernacle in Moses, and there was lengthy instructions given in the for the tabernacle building. It was in the Solomon's temple, which was beautiful and magnificent and wonderful, but was ultimately destroyed. They had a new temple in their day when this was written that was built by Herod that was magnificent, but it wasn't fully theirs. And so what Paul and all of the temple, the purpose of it was where heaven meets earth, where God's presence was, where sacrifices were done so that there could be justified in the sight of a holy God. And so what Paul is saying here is unbelievable. He's saying, not there, but you are the temple. You, plural, not just you, Apollos, you, Paul, you, individual, but you, collectively, are the place that God dwells in the earth. When we will one day be united in the future with Him, 
This is the future coming presence. God's presence is in this earth through his people. Now, the temple is not the building we go to on Sunday. It's, that's not the house of God. We, ah, we are the house of God. You are where God's spirit dwells collectively. Now, and how can that happen? Because we're, this is amazing. Because in Corinth, they were divided. They were immoral. They were doing foolish things. But God says, I mean, excuse me, Paul says that God's spirit dwells in them and that they are holy. What? How can they be holy? Because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He paid the penalty of the sins. He made them saints. He made them holy and pure so that the holiness and purity of God could dwell in them in the present in ways that will be fully done in the future. So brothers and sisters, hear this. When you gather in your DNA groups, when we gather together in our homes and as a larger gathering, when we get together with our MCs, whether it's to be family and just love one another, whether it's to be on mission and proclaiming Jesus, serving our neighbors, we are experiencing the presence of God in that moment. When you look at one another, when you're done looking at me, you will see the very presence of God in their eyes because Jesus dwells in them and Jesus dwells in us. We are the temple. We have been purified. We are holy. And so we, brothers and sisters, are a field that God's cultivating. We are a building that's on top of the gospel that's being built up. We are the temple of God that he has purified so that we can dwell. And we need to continue to fight for a right understanding of who we are. What Paul is doing is this is going to fight them from being um, lack of unity. So if you're experiencing strife or jealousy, you need to have what Paul would say, a re-understanding of who you are as, a bro as brothers and sisters, but also as a, as a field, as a building, as a temple. You need to understand who you are as a church. This is our ecclesiology, who we are. If you're thinking you can do it on your own, you need to have a, another recognition of, no, this is us, not just me. I mean, this is the amazing thought. When Paul was writing Corinth, he was doing the very thing that Moses was doing when he was giving the tabernacle instructions. He was forming uh, the temple of God so that it could be beautifully adorned and rightfully purified so that the presence of God could dwell. That's our New Testament epistles. That's every time I come up and preach. That's every time we teach something. It's, to, it's so that we can be beautifully adorned as the temple and we can show the whole world what God is like by our love for one another. So brothers and sisters, do you have a full understanding of what God is doing in your midst? He's here with you. Right now, he's with you. His presence, the one who spoke the earth into motion, dwells in you. The one who uh, empowered, like, spread the sea and allowed the Israelites to walk on dry ground is in your midst right now. He who rose from the dead is with you by his spirit. 
Are you a temple? Yes. But are you living in light of that temple? Are you a building? Yes. But are you building one another up in love? Are you a field? Yes, you are. Are you cultivating that field so that God can give the growth? The church, to be united, needs a right understanding of our leaders, but we need to have a right understanding of ourselves too. This is who we are. This is what it means to be the church. And so as I pray, and as you go into discussing this with one another, I pray that his presence would be experienced. He would bit by bit build us up, but ultimately that he would be the one bringing growth. Let's pray. God, thank you that we are saved by the grace of God through faith. And God, that you are empowering us to build one another up in love, as you say in Ephesians, that we are the uh, building, the living stones being put in place. We are the field that we want to cultivate but so that you can bring the growth. And God, we are your temple where your presence is experienced. May we, your people, experience your presence right now as we continue. May we continue to be built up. And God, may we, you bring growth in our midst so that in each of our missional communities, people come to faith. In each of our missional communities, people are transformed into the fullness of Jesus. And that by your grace, we will see churches planted through the work that you're doing in our midst. We thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.